0: We are uh, going to get started here. I have, um, I know that I've done this for a couple of weeks already, and not getting very far any moving ahead in Galatians. And we have to do that this week and next week. And then we're going to really be able to cruise. But this is such an important part for all of the, the book of Galatians. And I thought about trying to skip it and just, you know, I just keep moving on. But it is. It, it, this is Galatians. This is what it's talking about the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law and what the law is about, not salvation. And because Christianity as a whole misunderstands what the law is, I've got to drill it in. And um, I think it's important for us to be able to answer those questions how we can confess Yeshua, Jesus, and yet try to honor the Sabbath. How we can, and some of us, you know, eat clean food or keep the festivals or whatever the case may be. Because when I, I've had so many people in their doubts and skepticism and not understanding who we are, not understanding what we do, say things like, well, do you go up to Jerusalem every, you know, three times a year? Are you wearing clothing of two different types? you know? Or as we talked about last week, are you stoning your children? They'll bring up these other laws and say, how can you claim one but deny the other? And because that's so important, we want to look at a few of those and just try and make sense of this. I wish that I was smart enough to just bring it all together in one simple way, but I'm not. And I think we're slow to learn, too. And I think we need to be refreshed and see from every angle what's going on. Um, One thing I can tell you for sure is we are not trading Jesus in for the law. And if any of you think we are, then I don't want you here either. You're not ready, okay? Well, maybe you should be here to learn, but you get the point. Um, So... um, we were talking here a little bit ago about people when they are when they want to do something that is godly. We don't question it. Uh, I think, for example, if somebody says, you know, I think I'm going to try and stay off of Facebook. I'm I'm fasting from, you know, uh, social media. Nobody is out there saying, oh, are you legalistic? They're like, good for you, good for you. But if we say, you know, I'm really trying to keep the Sabbath, they're like, ooh, you know, we're under the new covenant, right? You realize that. So there's something weird about that to me. There's something spiritual that is going on, and and I think we need to address what that is. And part of it is not us always just understanding what we're doing, but for you to be able to understand or explain to others why you do what you do, and to be able to answer those questions that are brought up about these other things in the law. And that's kind of one of my goals here in uh, doing this. Today, Daniel Joseph had a message on, he's starting on the Ten Commandments. And I thought, you know, it's interesting. If I would go to anybody and ask you, would you say that the United States of America the fact that we are tearing down the Ten Commandments and removing it from courthouse lawns and all of those kind of things, is that a symbol of trouble? I think everybody would say absolutely that's a sign of trouble. That's a sign that you know, something is not going in the right direction in this country. Well, why? The Ten Commandments, that's the law. So if we are getting rid of the law for the country, it's some sign that Something's not right. But if we get rid of the law in our own lives, that's a sign you're under grace. There's something, again, not quite adding up. There's some confusion someplace. Where is it? And that's what we want to look at. So, again, uh, those who are listening, if you want to get more messages like this as well and hear all of it, you can go to Uh, patreon.com. Now, the other thing that I've been feeling is it's so easy to lose the context when we only do a few verses. And uh, last night I was listening to Galatians in the middle of the night and I just thought, you know, I need to just read this. So I know this is a lot of words in one spot. I'm not so concerned about doing anything outside. I'm just going to read this to give you the context again of what we've been talking about here in Galatians, okay? So in chapter 4, verse 28, it says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, as Isaac was, are children of promise, but as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. In other words, um, Ishmael persecuted Isaac and he says it's happening right now. And this isn't just to talk about Arab and Jew, it's talking about the law because he just got he's saying that these represent two covenants. That old covenant is going to continue to persecute the new covenant to this day. Don't forget that. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. In a sense, the law, right? For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. We are not children of the law, but of the promise. Okay? I agree. Now, but what does that mean, is the question. Verse 5, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, which is the context of all here in Galatians, being circumcised for salvation, he says Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. In other words, if you're going to keep the the circumcision to be saved, then you better make sure you're keeping the Sabbath and every other law because if you break those now, you're still going to hell. If you're looking for any of the things of the law to bring salvation, you have to keep it all to be saved. Every bit. He goes on, You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. Don't lose that. To be justified by law. That's not what we're doing here. We're not seeking to be justified by law. We're not being bound by it. We're not under it. He says, you have fallen from grace, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Love fulfills the law. It goes on in verse 7. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, for justification, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Literally, emasculate, uh, like, not just circumcise, but cut it all off. That's what it says in the Greek. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against... Er, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. This whole thing is flesh versus spirit. It isn't law versus no law. It's being led by the spirit or being under bondage of law. Being justified by law or being blessed by law. There's a big difference between those. So, with that in mind, this is kind of where we are kicking off our verses. We're still on this, this bond woman versus the free woman. And I want to examine this a little bit more because in verse 21 here it says, You who desire to be under the law, do you not... Hear the law. In other words, if you're under the law, he says, Don't you hear the law? Because if you're hearing the law, you're doomed. We are not under the law. I couldn't agree more. And this is what so many people will say to me because they don't understand the law. They don't understand what we believe about the law. So they say, We're not under the law. We're under the new covenant. Yes. I don't want to go under the Old Covenant ever again. I don't want to be under the law ever. But I still have a desire to do the law. But I'm not under it. I'm not obligated to it. And it's that simple difference that is so difficult to understand. And I think the reason is, is because of what I just read, that Ishmael is still persecuting Isaac. We see that the bondage of the law still persecutes the freedom of Christ. And even in this other part where it says here, I say then walk in the spirit. That the spirit and the flesh are against each other. And that's why this battle is here. In John 6.33 it says this, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So Jesus said his words are spirit. We just got done reading here in Galatians that we walk in the spirit, that the spirit is going to be against the flesh. There's something about this spiritual aspect of the law that has to be understood to get rid of this contradiction that we hear among Christianity today. So if his words are spirit, we're going to have to look at the world and his word in a spiritual way. The law has to be viewed in a spiritual sense. Right? Walk in the spirit. What does that mean, though? John 6, 63. Thank you. John 6, 63. These beatitudes are blessed are they who, blessed, 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 blessed. We hear the word blessed, we isolate that, and we think, oh, this is all good news. But yet when you look at these Beatitudes, it seems very different. In chapter 5, verse 17, and the Beatitudes go into chapter 6 as well, it says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. We just sang that in that song here today. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, That's like the smallest letter, the yod, in the Hebrew letter. Not one, by no means, will pass from the law till all this is fulfilled. Till all is fulfilled. So, as long as heaven is here, as long as earth is here, until they pass away, there isn't going to be any of the law that goes away. That should be all we need to know for people to say, hey, the law is gone, the law is gone, the law is gone. No. Well, people say, well, it's not gone but you don't have to do it anymore. Well, then what's it there for? If the law is still there, not gone, he didn't get rid of it, why didn't he get rid of it if we're not expected to uphold it? What's the point? There wouldn't be a point. Verse 21, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say, this is Jesus speaking, To you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, like you fool, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, I think for years I even taught this wrong. I would teach in some cases that he is elevating the law. He's taking the standard of the law and making it even harder Now, in one sense, you can look at that and say, yeah, I mean, you've heard it said don't murder. That's easy. But don't hate? Well, that's a little harder. And he says, you've heard it said that if you hate, then, you know, you murder, you go to hell. I get that. But if you hate, you're going to hell? That seems to be a little bit more of a challenge. I don't believe that that's what he was doing. Well, I know that's not what he was doing. He wasn't elevating it. We know he wasn't getting rid of it either. So what is he doing with it then? I believe it's this very thing. He is showing you the spirit of the law. The spirit of it. When he says, but I tell you. He is showing you the intent of the law as well. The law was given because of transgression. It was given to kill. So, it's not that it's more strict, it's the true intent behind the law. He's saying, this is how you've understood it, but let me explain it to you, spiritually, what this is all about. The law is going to bring death. So, in some senses, the spirit of the law, illustrated here by Jesus, it is harder, in some senses. But in other ways, it actually brings freedom and it's a lot easier. I'll explain that as we go. But this, what he is saying, has always been the true sense of the commandment to begin with. So, we do because Jesus did. Okay. It also means we can't do without the Spirit. We will not be able to do it without the Spirit of God but we do it not because I'm under the law, not because I'm bound by it, but because of the spirit of it. Okay, that'll become more clear as we go. 1 John 3.15, I hope, says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. All right, so John, this is the same John that was one of his disciples that was there on the Mount of Beatitudes hearing Jesus preach this very sermon. He was preaching this very sermon and now he is repeating it. After the resurrection, nothing has changed. I used to preach as well that there was a difference because Jesus' ministry came under the law, then after he died on the cross, you got this little new thing. That's not right either. I was wrong. Here is, post-cross, post-resurrection, the exact same message. If you hate your brother, you've murdered. That's a beatitude. So, John understood the spirit of the law. Let's go back to Matthew 5. He goes on and he says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. Basically, You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you, you can't even look at a woman with lustful thoughts, in essence, is what he's saying. Lust makes you guilty, bound to hell. That means we can say, oh, well, I'm married, I've never gotten a divorce, that's fine. But he's saying, you're looking at porn? That's damnable to hell. And by the way, the spirit of the law was still in effect after the cross as we just saw in John. Pornography is a road that can lead to hell still. You see, we like to, to say it's just you know, this big thing, but he says, no, it is so much greater than that. You have so much greater of a need for Jesus than you could ever imagine. Your need is much greater than you thought. You thought you were doing pretty well, you're not. None of us are. And that's the point. Is You think nobody sees? Let me tell you, somebody's watching. Always. God is watching. His eyes are always on you. And I think we need to meditate on this verse. When you have lustful eyes, because you're just training yourself for a bigger day when you're going to live it out. Take it a step further. That's how Satan works whether it be greed or lust or anything else. So, what do we do with our thoughts? Well, we take them captive to the obedience of Christ. It's important because that's where the war is going on, is in our thoughts, in our minds. Romans talks about that. The members of my body are waging war against the law of my mind making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work in my members. We are in a war every day. (coughs) War is in the mind. So when we take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, then we let the Spirit fight that battle for us. The question is, how do we do this? And it's all about motivation. Guys, there have been years and years and years where I would try and fight battles of sin, whether it be lust or anger, on my own. And I never could do it on my own. And my motivation was always this. My motivation was... I'm doing wrong, I'm doing wrong, I'm doing wrong. But our motivation isn't because of the law of thou shalt or thou shalt not. My motivation needed to change. And the motivation had to come from the spirit behind that law. And that spirit was knowing Jesus Christ and knowing that I was grieving Him. Not grieving me because I'm grieving Him. When I was a kid, I did things for my mom and dad because they told me I had to do it. Then I went off to college. My mom and dad were getting older, and I was the one saying, Dad, what, what, don't do that. You, you sit. I'll do it. Because I loved my dad. There, he didn't have to tell me to do anything. It was in my heart. The point being is the motivation is not the law, not the command itself. The motivation is because of the lawgiver now I know that, I, I think all of you know this, but how does this become internalized in us? How does this become who we are? Okay? And I think every time you, you start understanding more of God's Word, the more you know Jesus, the more that just is initi- Just it's instilled in you. Had I never loved my dad, had I never known my dad very well, I probably would have never developed that love for him. The law is a reflection of who God is. And in keeping those laws, the blessing of it is getting to know him more. And it isn't just about being able to quote a Bible verse. It's knowing who he is, his very essence, his very character, that in essence, it becomes you going, I love him. And your love supersedes Matthew five thirty one. Furthermore it has been said whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce but I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery we don't like to talk about that today too many people have been divorced even in the churches so we're not allowed to talk about that specifically I really thought about taking an extra week and dragging Galatians out but I decided I'll come back to divorce but I put together a presentation on divorce that'll take one or two weeks and I think is very helpful in understanding what goes on in divorce and even challenged my thinking in some areas of it I'm not saying divorce is right or whatever there are reasons for it sometimes But it was never God's intent. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, but I'm not going to dive deep into it. But notice in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, the Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? There is a reason these guys were asking Jesus this question. We kind of brought it up last week or a couple weeks ago. Okay. In Matthew 5, Jesus is just talking, and now in Matthew 19, the Pharisees, probably hearing this, are coming and saying, is it okay to get a divorce for any reason? The reason they were asking the question is because back in these days there were two schools of thought from two main rabbis. And there was the school of Shammai, or the house of Shammai, they'd call it, and then the house of Hillel. Both of them big names in Judaism. Well, Shammai said this, a man should divorce his wife only because he has found grounds for it in unchastity. Since it is said because he has found in her indecency in anything, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. Now, the house of Hillel took the exact same Deuteronomy verse. And this... Hillel Rabbi said, "Even if she spoiled his dish, since it is said because he is found in her indecency in anything. In other words, she burned the ramen noodles, you could divorce her. So the Mishnah, which is, you know is part of the Talmud, records this debate between these rabbis, and it's it's just it's very interesting because, like I said, they're both." debating the exact same verse. So we're going to jump ahead a couple of centuries and we're going to get to Rabbi Akiva, which is one of the guys that was supposedly, uh, um, he basically pronounced this guy named Bar-Koba as the Messiah. So he was wrong. Um, But he said, he took the same verse and he said, even if he found someone else prettier than his wife, that it was okay to get a divorce. So this is what was going on at the time. At least Hallel had to do with her behavior that she was a bad cook. She can't even help this, I mean, this this is bad. So three different interpretations from the exact same passage. Now, back to Matthew. I have there in verse 3, kind of what we've already looked at. Verse 4 continues when Jesus answers. He answered and said to them, have you not read that He who made them at the beginning made them male and female? So interestingly, He takes you back to creation, the very beginning of marriage to give you the answer. Now, I use this a lot to show homosexual marriage. God did not say, have you not read that He made them at the beginning, made them you know, Adam and Steve not Adam and Eve doesn't work that way he defines what a marriage is supposed to be right here in his answer haven't you read the scriptures define marriage one man one woman and it's at the beginning he didn't say haven't you read that he which made them millions of years after the beginning for those people who think the earth was created and then millions of years later God put humans on this earth doesn't say that he's defining the beginning when it was And he defines what a marriage is in this. He says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. I use this verse all the time to talk with youth about the importance of not having premarital sex. The two become one. Today, we think, oh, you, you sleep with somebody, that's fine. You're still two individuals, go your way and go find somebody else, and you can just keep bouncing around and you're still yourself. No. You sleep with people, you become one. That's important. So he says then if you get a divorce, what happens? There's a part of you that is torn away, a part of you that's missing. It's what the scriptures are defining here. I'm not going to get into that, I could go along ways just teaching on that in itself but for now just let that resonate Um, what God has joined together let not man separate so now we have perspective as to why they asked this question because of all these different schools of thought here's Jesus answer taking them back to Genesis now this is a profoundly spiritual answer he doesn't just go quote the law he gives them the meaning behind the law in answering this. He says this union or this joining together is of God. There is something spiritual that takes place. This is something God does, and to destroy what God has put together is just outright evil. It's an abomination. Don't do it. So the issue isn't is it okay to stop, you know, living together, I'm going to separate, we're going to get divorced because we just can't get along anymore. The issue isn't whether or not you keep your piece of paper, your marriage certificate, or if the courthouse says, okay, you're no longer. The issue is tearing apart what God has joined. Now, the Pharisees are going to have another question in response to all of this. And we're going to kind of dive a little deeper into the spiritual aspect of this. Remember this part, haven't you read how it was from the beginning? Okay, Matthew 19 verse 7, they said to him in response to his response, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? There's the law. The Pharisees are right back to the letter of the law. Jesus is going to go right back to the spirit of that law. He says, Moses because of the he said to them Moses because of the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. This was never the intent. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery and whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. So, again, the answer from Jesus almost sounds like Moses was allowed to kind of loosen the reins a little bit on what he originally had commanded. Doesn't it? Kind of lessening the law a little bit. Almost kind of like what you might say we do today with the law. Well, now Jesus has come and so that law is lessened. We're not under it, type of thing. Okay? Well, what we see is God had allowed it because of a reason, sin. That's why. Remember Galatians 3 said, the law was added because of transgression. So it was because of sin or hard hearts that God had to say, all right, here's a law you're permitted to get a divorce if your spouse is unfaithful, okay? In other words, he's saying this isn't the way it was from the beginning though. This isn't how I intended it to be. If our hearts were not hard, that law wouldn't have even been there to allow a divorce. Because the intent was a union. But because our hearts are hard, we have this law. You might say, at the beginning, the law was there, but it was in our hearts. I didn't have to give you a command, because at the beginning, the law of union and love, it was there. There would would be no separation. But because sin came into the world, your hearts weren't for me, they were for you. They were for your own flesh. And now you go and do your own thing. And so now I had to establish a law. From the beginning, God didn't have to tell you not to do that. But because of sin, because your hearts were hard, because of the flesh, I have to tell you. Does that kind of ring a bell with maybe what I'm trying to say with some of the laws today? Thou shalt not steal. If my heart is right, I don't need to be told not to steal. Honestly, I really don't need that commandment in my life. I don't need it. I don't need those things because I have no desire to do that. (coughs) My heart's not hard in that area doesn't mean the law is bad don't steal it needs to be there especially for the ungodly who have hard hearts just like this law of marriage but for me that's not my motivation i don't steal because i love my creator i love him i trust him i don't need those things don't even want those things unnecessary anyway it's all going to burn my heart has been changed. Do we need to have a law for pornography? Some do. But I don't need that law anymore because I love God. I love my wife. I am not going to do that anymore to her. I am not going to be unfaithful in that way to her. This is what I mean. So all of the laws are kind of in this category. Can you see the spirit versus the letter of it? It doesn't get rid of the truth or the law itself, but we have to understand the spirit behind it. Now, the other thing is, is Jesus, by the way, does give them the correct answer from Deuteronomy, Okay, unlike the rabbis of the day there. Um, Let's look at the passage they keep quoting here. This Deuteronomy 24. This is the one all three rabbis were quoting and giving three different interpretations of. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanliness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. In yellow here, we see that that is what Rabbi Akiva and Hillel focused on. If she finds no favor, you're displeased in any way. In the blue or green or whatever color it appears up there, That is what Rabbi Shammai had focused on. (laughs) Uncleanliness. The word uncleanliness there in the Hebrew is the exact same word used in Leviticus 18 for the word nakedness. And not just like in your birthday suit nakedness, but in fornication, being unfaithful. And so it is a specific word that's used to to make that very clear. So... um, What I want you to see, though, is that these rabbis were taking and focusing on just a little bit of the text, not taking the whole context of it. And when we do that, we can make the Scripture say anything we want. We can isolate this verse that says, I'm not under the law. Okay? I'm free in Christ. But we have to take the whole context of everything and then it becomes clear. Um, I won't get into that. We've talked about that before. But I'll give you one example. Uh, focusing only on parts of Matthew 7.23 where it says, uh, uh, there are going to be many that will come before you and say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons, we did this. And he says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never, I never knew you. Right? Uh, we love to focus on he never knew you. But we love to just kind of ignore and sweep under the rug the, the why. Because he was a worker of iniquity. Okay? Just, just as an example. Specifically meaning what? Um, tor- uh, lawlessness. <coughs> so, any kind of law. Yeah, because you broke the law. And that's the thing, again, going to that spirit of the law. Everybody breaks the law. It's just whether you're covered with the blood of Christ so that it's forgiven or not. And then the aspect of um, the spirit versus the letter, I guess. I break the law all the time, but I, there's no condemnation in it because of Jesus Christ. But I have a love for the law, too. I have a love... I, I, try not to break the law. I try to fulfill the law and as much as I can to to keep it because that's what Jesus did. When we go here in verse 9 it says I say to you whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality lest there be any uh, question. That word here um, uncleanliness in Hebrew that is nakedness due to fornication that word is used 50 times, half of which are in Leviticus 18 talking about this very topic. Okay? And that same word is the equivalent here in the Greek in Matthew 19 when it talks about sexual immorality. Matthew 5:32, same word. So Jesus is just quoting the Torah, the the law both in the beatitudes here in Matthew 5, he is quoting what the law said in Leviticus 18. He says, yes, there was, because of the hard hearts, there was a a permissible divorce because of unfaithfulness. So Jesus is quoting the law. Alright? He's not making anything new. Nothing new that he's, okay, oh yeah, let me give you a new command. But he does answer their question, and I'm sure some of them didn't like that because really he ruled on the side of Shammai in this case. But he didn't use them as his support. He used the Scripture as the support of it. Um, Anyway, uh, going back to the spirit of the law, I kind of tried to... All day long, I've been thinking of analogies and never satisfied fully, but I said we look at it as the law sometimes is like dissecting a frog. And we take all of these pieces out to identify it. And that's how we look at this law of, um, you know, different types of clothing, don't mix your seed, all these things. We dissect it out. Okay, well, you're doing this one, but why not that one? Oh, you're doing this one here and that one, but why not these? And Jesus looks at it as if your heart is right. It, it isn't even a question. He's seeing the whole frog. He sees the whole picture. And therefore, he's not looking at, oh, okay, you've got that piece of the frog right, you've got that piece of the frog wrong. He's seeing frog the blood of Jesus is covered, and his heart is for me. I know that's a terrible analogy. I know what you're saying. Well, let me give you another example here then. Alright, so he just talked about divorce. Remember the spirit of the law that he gave. Yes, he still quoted the law, but he also went to show the spirit of it, taking it all the way back to the beginning. It wasn't about the law. It was about the hearts of people being wrong. Okay? oaths Matthew five thirty three. again you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not swear falsely but shall perform your oaths to the Lord but I say to you do not swear at all neither by heaven for it is God's throne nor by the earth for it is his footstool nor by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great King nor shall you swear by your head because you cannot make one hair white or black but let your yes be yes your no no For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So, Leviticus, he is actually talking about the law again. Now, there's a couple of things I find interesting. The laws that he is addressing here aren't just 10 Commandments. He did address murder, but he's also addressing some of these other Levitical laws that sometimes we see in the church today, people saying, well, yeah, the 10 Commandments are still good but these other ones are categorized into the moral law, the ceremonial laws, all of these things and so we don't, we don't worry about those, just the Ten Commandments. There's that argument out there. Uh, the Sabbath is in the Ten Commandments, yeah, so really the nine they'll focus on. But, the point being, Logan and I were talking about that, what, what do we say to people like that? And, I haven't figured out a really easy, succinct way But there are a few things that are succinct. Number one, and I'll talk about this coming up too, but there are some laws that certainly are gone. The Bible tells us that. Those ceremonial laws for the temple are gone. Hebrews is very clear about that. Now that doesn't mean that some of those things aren't going to be used in the kingdom of heaven in a different way. But nonetheless, we have a new temple, a new priesthood, a new priest, a new high priest. It's all new in a new covenant. Those are gone. Hebrews is very clear. There are some laws that you could not do outside of Jerusalem. So when they went to Babylon, they couldn't do some of those laws because they had to be done in the land. I don't think that those are... Gone. I just think that until we're brought back to the land, they can't be restored. I personally think that when the Lord comes back, we will be doing all of those things, but understanding the spirit of them, and it'll be a joy. Okay. All those things not, sacrifices. not well. What depends on what you mean by sacrifices? Not sin offerings, no. But we read Zechariah 14. You read Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48. They're still doing burnt offerings after the Lord comes back. Thanks. Yes, they're burnt offerings, which are thank offerings. Yep. Thanks and praise. So there will not be sin offering. That's done. Scriptures tell us that. Okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 so, anyway. Um. Anyway, he is quoting Leviticus here, not just the Ten Commandments that he's dealing with. It actually says not to swear falsely in my name in Leviticus. Here it just says you shall not swear falsely. But the point is is he's quoting the the law, the Torah. um, And he's going to explain the spirit of it here. Let's take and look at Ecclesiastes to help us understand this. Ecclesiastes 5.4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed, but not, or better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Or Deuteronomy 23, 22, but if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. In other words, it's better not to make a vow because if you break the vow, that's bad. Okay? So... um, Let your yes be yes, and don't make a vow and break it so that your yes becomes a no. In essence, he's saying this as well. We do not keep the law because we vow to do it. I promise. God, I, I will never do this again. Right? No. Okay? That was an Old Testament thing where they had to make a vow if you do this, then I will be your God. Right? It was a conditional. That covenant, the old covenant was conditional. The new covenant is, well, there's still conditions. I mean, obviously you have to be under Christ, but it's not the law that keeps me in good standing with Christ. It's my faith and my heart for Him that keeps me in good standing. So, we now do the law without a vow. Does that make sense? I'm not doing it because I vowed, because there's a legal reason to do it. I'm doing it just because I want to. My yes is yes to Lord. Yes, Lord. All right, back to Matthew. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps... You on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you, take away your tunic. Let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Again, it almost sounds like he's revoking what he said in the Torah, but that's not the case at all. You've heard it said, but I'm telling you something different? No. Many say in the Old Testament you could get revenge. That's what an eye for an eye is in their understanding. Okay, They do it, you do it to them. Revenge. Not at all. He's saying, turn the other cheek. So is that something different than what Torah said and taught? Well, no, it isn't. Not at all. The person Where we're wrong is thinking that that law was for revenge to begin with. It never was. It's not saying an eye for an eye is barbaric. And Jesus was bringing something more civilized into the, the conversation here in the Beatitudes. But that's how it's often perceived. He's giving the spirit of the law and verifying the law and its importance. Let's go to the Old Testament to look at what he's saying. Leviticus 19.18 You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So you're not to take vengeance. Wait a minute, somebody pokes my eye out. I'm supposed to poke his eye out. I'm supposed to have vengeance. No, that's not, no. Something's not right here. This isn't adding up. Proverbs 24, 29. Do not say I will do to him just as he has done to me. What? I thought I was supposed to do an eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. Romans 12, 19 in the New Testament. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine I will repay, says the Lord. So clearly an eye for an eye in the Old Testament didn't mean revenge because the Torah forbids taking revenge. It forbids an eye for an eye. And so he is literally, Jesus is literally giving the spirit of that law. You've heard it said an eye for an eye. You've been thinking it's revenge, but I tell you it has nothing to do with revenge. If somebody smacks you, turn to him the other cheek. If he tells you to walk a mile, you go two. You're just to love your neighbor, not take revenge on them. So what is he saying? There's the Matthew 5, Proverbs twenty six, twenty seven, and many others that we could show you. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. In other words... I hate to use this word, but it is a perfect illustration. Karma. Karma is a new age kind of philosophy, but I'm telling you there's some biblical truth to the teaching of karma. I'm not going to call it karma, but there is that thing, and it's everywhere in Scripture. Obadiah 1.15, For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. You see, this is a warning. If I do harm to my neighbor, it will come back on me. Now, here's why I'm going to separate karma from the truth. There's an aspect of that that's true for me as a Christian. Okay? If I live and sow whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. There is no question about that. Even as a Christian, there is truth to that. But at the same time, there is a lot of things that I do in life that I will experience no consequences of because of the, the blood of Jesus, period. Especially, I deserve to be killed. I have killed, I have murdered. I have had hate in my heart. Okay, I have cheated on my wife because I have had lust in my... That woke her up. I have had... Yeah, I have had lustful eyes at times. I have done some terrible things. But yet, I am forgiven and there is no karma coming back on me. But there is some truth to that that if I can, I can make choices... If I choose not to read my Bible, not to get to know Jesus better, I'll still be in heaven, but you know what? I will not receive the blessings that come from it. I am presented with choices each and every day to follow the law of God or not follow the law of God. And what I reap is what I will sow. Whereas the New Age karma is going to be pretty much standard across the board. Everything you do, there's going to be a reaction to that whether you are Christian or not a Christian. There's difference here between a Christian and non-Christian. Okay. So, anyway, a couple other examples of this. Revelation 13.10 He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the endurance. Just some Aspects of this, thats all through Scripture, and we see that happening in many cases in, in different uh, events and historical events in the Bible where they, what they did, they receive. So, therefore, Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's how he kind of starts summing it all up. What you want men to do to you, do also to them. This is summing up the law. Leviticus 24.9 If a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor as he has done, so shall it be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. You will reap what you sow. It's a warning, not revenge. Okay? So, it's the golden rule, you might say. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Um, this is how he closes out this whole list of rules in the Beatitudes, summing it all up. So, how we tend to isolate a phrase without the context of the Spirit can really affect how we interpret it. Just like the house of you know, Shammai or Hillel when it came to divorce. So my question then is, how does this apply to things like the Sabbath? Clean and unclean, Christmas, you know, all of these things that many of us in this group are, are choosing to do, to make steps to keep the biblical festivals, to say, I, I'm going to do my best to keep the Sabbath. That spirit of the law. And again, I fail with the analogies, but you can see how Jesus wasn't going against Torah here. He was giving the spirit of it, that when you have a heart for the Lord, you do these things and I don't have to tell you not to. When I have a heart for Jesus, I should want to do what he has commanded, even though in some cases it wasn't commanded. Going back to this list of things here, I'm coming up to it here somewhere. I'm like really close to done. But the Sabbath was around before the Levitical Laws. Clean and unclean was around before the Levitical laws. The festivals began before the Levitical laws. People say, well, why are you doing these and not these? Well, for me, a lot of these things are because, first of all, it wasn't the law. This is just God. But even if it was the law, I would have a desire to do it. But it does put it into a different category in some ways. And so I don't have an answer for you to say, well, I don't do this one because of this or I don't do that one because of that. Many of them I do. But I'm sure you can find something that I'm like, well, I don't know. But I'm not convicted by it and I hate that because that's a really lame excuse because a lot of people will say, well, I'm not convicted by it by things that are very clear in Scripture. Some people are not convicted by watching pornography. Okay? So you can, you can twist that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is God will show you when you have a desire for Him, He will reveal Himself to you. It's that simple. Your goal is just to know your Father, know your Creator, know what His Word says, and then do your best to understand it and follow it. It's that simple. Um... Let's see, did I talk about this one? I did. Um, Can you see how Jesus wasn't even elevating the law here, but giving the spirit of it? You know, you've heard it said, don't murder, don't divorce, don't have evil in your hearts, don't hit back. All of those things can fall under that category of love your neighbor. Right? Right? Remember what Jesus said? All of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your God. That's all it is. Love. Why do I keep the Sabbath? Because I love God. Why do I do His festivals? Because I love God. Why do you not steal? Because I love my neighbor. And I love God. It's the love in our hearts that motivates us to keep the commandments. All of them. I'll fail at times, but there's no condemnation. I'm not under it. So, building on this point, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Again, sounds like he's changing his mind. Curse, Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Leviticus 19.17 is what he's referring to here. It says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. Nowhere can I find that I was supposed to hate my enemy. See, an eye for an eye, oaths, love your neighbor, all of these laws... As I said, they're not all Ten Commandments. Some of them are these Levitical laws, and I can't find anything in any of them. Even the Ten Commandments, can be, a portion of them are all summed up in loving your neighbor, not hating them. There's nothing about being revengeful or any of that kind of thing. But Jesus is lumping all these laws together, where, whether it be the Ten Commandments or other Levitical laws. Um... So, maybe Matthew 5 is talking about something else here. I don't think so, because like I said, I can't find anything. But we're going to look here, and what we see in Leviticus is it has nothing to do with hate, but rather it has to do about warning and, and well, really love. Rebuking your neighbor out of love. Today, if I tell somebody that they shouldn't practice homosexuality, that's viewed as hate. That's what he's saying here. No, 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 no. It's not hate. It's love to warn and rebuke because they're going down a train track and a train's coming. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Exodus 23.4 If it was hating your neighbor, why in the world do we have the law filled with this stuff? If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying under its burden, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. Yeah. And a lot of people think that, that that's a hateful God of the Old Testament because He says, go wipe these people out. Well, that's justice there. That's not hate. God does not do that out of hate. He does that out of justice. He cannot be unjust. And so when He... It's Judgment Day. That's coming again someday. That's a picture of what's happening in the future. He will wipe out every man, woman, and child, as He did in the past, of those who do not love Him. And so, that's why we are to be loving. But nonetheless, we're seeing love your neighbor is the key here. That is the spirit of those laws. So, when He talks about these laws here, it would be one thing to just go and follow eye for an eye. Oh, okay, you know, you poked that up. Sorry, you know, there goes your eye. We could follow the letter of that law, and Jesus is saying, "No, guys, stop. This is about loving your neighbor and warning them of consequences. It's about discipline, it's about societal functioning, society's functioning in essence." So, um I just think that today we have a wrong view of what the Old Testament law was about. We see it from a letter without seeing it from the spiritual perspective. They were rules to (laughs) govern society for the benefit of that society. Even the scripture says, what other nation was so blessed to receive the, the, the laws that I gave you? They were supposed to be a blessing to establish order when hearts were not right, and let me tell you, even today in the New Covenant, our hearts are not always right. Okay, but anyway, um, I figure the laws like the seat seats, you know, attaching them to your things, the stoning, like we talked about two weeks ago. Um, Scripture gives a pretty clear meaning of what they are, and there's reason. I don't need to do that anymore. I think that we can see the spirit of that law, that seat seats were given so that you remember the commandments of God. I don't need that anymore. Now, God put them on my heart, so I don't need to do it. The stoning, I'm not going to kill the person. I'm going to destroy them by handing them over to Satan in hopes out of love that they will repent in church discipline, as we talked about two weeks ago. And so we just have to think of those things in that way. Um, But Jesus never said, (coughs) you've heard it said, keep the Sabbath. But I tell you, right, there's a difference. There's a difference between these things. You've heard it said, don't eat unclean food. But I tell you, we even see the disciples clearly. Jesus didn't even teach the disciples those things because the disciples kept them. The disciples were eating clean; otherwise, Peter would not have been shocked. Had Jesus even once said, "You know, this is all going to change," he would have been shocked. But he wasn't. Or he wouldn't have been shocked. I should have said. When that sheet was being lowered down, they would have stopped keeping the Sabbath, and they didn't church history and the bible reveals that. So last slide, Proverbs 25:21, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. We talked about this here a while back, heaping coals on their head. I used to just look at that as, you know, some metaphor. I think that may be more real when we see in Revelation chapter five when the saints who have been slain, the enemy has killed them that an angel comes and takes coals from the altar and throws it down on the earth, literally heaping burning coals on the heads of the ungodly. It is mine to avenge, God says. God knows the hearts of every person. He will be just. We are to love our neighbor. We're to love those who persecute us. Love those who reject us. Love those who mock us. And I'm here to serve God, not people. So um, I'm going to close with this, but the next session is going to continue along this line of thought. And I think it's a little bit more clear. These are kind of maybe a little bit more uh, vague in some senses. But um, think think of the spirit of the law this way. This was my other analogy that I came up with that probably will fail. But I tell my kids, don't play in the street. This is one that was about 3 o'clock in the morning, so that's why it's probably not going to work. Okay, that's the law. Don't play in the street. The spirit of the law, however, is... I don't want you to get hurt. All the child hears, thou shalt not. The father hears, I love you. Okay? My child can go and break that law. Break my command. And go play in the street. Do I still love him? Absolutely every bit that I did before he broke that law. That's how it is with God. Maybe he will change the meaning of that law in his own heart, in his own mind, and he decides, well, what he really meant is don't play in the street when cars are coming. And so he'll redefine my law and go play in the street only when cars are not around, and he's keeping an eye out for cars. Okay? We can do the same. We can say, well, the Sabbath, really what he meant is take any day out of the week and give it to me. Is my child going to be safe? Probably, if he does a good job of it. Okay. That person, will they be blessed by taking a day to the Lord? I would say absolutely. They will be. But in some ways my child is tempting his fate. Not, not the love that he's receiving from me. But as a parent, am I going to praise him and be honored by his actions? If he has changed my laws and is playing when no cars are coming and watching for... No. He is not honoring me. He's not going to receive my praises. And it's the same with us. I don't think I'm honoring God when I change His rules to make them fit my desires. So why do I keep the Sabbath? To honor God. Not for me. Although it was made for me and I am blessed by it, I do it to honor God because the spirit of the law, all of it, is for His glory and for His honor. And so, I do it for that reason only. Not to gain a following. Not to make myself look better than somebody else. Because neither of those things will happen. But it's purely and simply to honor God. That is the spirit of the law. Uh, it's for our benefit to be closer to God. So, um, That's the best I could come up with that analogy. Um, What's that? Yeah. I said, why aren't we trying to find the spirit of the law when it says don't murder? Don't steal. Well, because all of it's summed up in love your neighbor. It's pretty easy. The spirit of the law does not remove the law itself, does it? Don't forget that. Because we say, oh, well, the spirit of the law, so we don't have to do it. Thou shall not steal. There is a, The spirit of it isn't you know, the rule just so that you don't steal. The, the spirit behind it is because we're supposed to love our neighbor. But the law is still remaining. Likewise, we can't justify then you know, these other laws. Oh, well, so what's the spirit of the Sabbath? Well like I said, I think those were there even before the Levitical laws were given anyway, but my point is is we can't justify these things and, and hope then that gets rid of it. It doesn't get rid of it. It just changes the motivation behind it. And that's the difference. Um, I, I put it this way. The spirit of the law doesn't remove the law. It highlights the motivation for doing it. So, Any other reason than that is the wrong reason. So, spirit of the law is to help us be motivated. And without that spirit of the law, you won't be able to keep it. (coughs) Like I said at the beginning, I tried for years to stop being angry or losing my temper by the law, the letter of the law. Never could do it. It was the spirit of the law that overcame. And whatever you struggle with, I'm telling you, that's the key, is to find the spirit of the law, meaning love God, love your neighbor, know Him. Die, search after Him like you've never searched for anything. In the way you live your life, in what you say, in what you do, in that other issue that you have, more than likely it will just start fading away because that's the spirit of it. All right, we'll close in prayer.